What's happening, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Curious Cats podcast with me, Ricky Spears, and Chris Walton. Today's guest is Heather Mills. If you don't know who Heather Mills is, you probably do, but she is uh, a businesswoman. She's uh, a vegan. She's an activist. She's been uh, an athlete. She holds a world record. She's been a model. Many things, many, many things, tiring amount of things. Um, and this is a really good chance to get to know the woman behind the headlines, I think. That's what it was for me. She's had a roller coaster ride of her life and a roller coaster relationship with the media, I think. So it was nice to just get to know her a bit more. Um, I really enjoyed it. And particularly sort of the last the last quarter of this podcast, I feel she really delivers some gems um, and a bit of an insight into her mindset. So, yeah, stick around for that. Um, I hope you enjoy Heather Mills. Okay, Heather Mills, thanks a lot for coming on. You're welcome. Um, You currently are training at the Better Body Group, is that right? Yeah, I am. How long have you been coming here? Probably about a year now. Um, I travel around a lot, so whenever I'm in this area, because I don't live around here, then um, it's the best gym me to go to but I, I agree. have a lot yeah I bet you do <laughs> <laughs> um take us all the way back if you would um where you was born early life and sort of your upbringing where it all kind of were you born in Peckham no where I was born yeah I've got <laughs> loads of friends that are like cockneys um, can you, you do my Geordie accent yeah. my accent's not um, why I man not it's not as strong <laughs> as Cheryl Cole me. oh that's good it's not all bad it's not bad not bad like Alan Shearer <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm tying it. Get on the lash. Is that right? <laughs> we spent too much time with Geordie yeah. girls, I can see. Mm, incorrect. <laughs> um, so I was actually born in the posh country, which um, I unfortunately moved from, but only for my accent. I love Newcastle to bits. And uh, my dad was in the army, so we travelled around a lot. And then he used to get himself in a lot of trouble by borrowing lots of money to set up mad businesses that never worked out. I thought it was a reincarnation of Richard Wagner. So we moved up to Newcastle and he was the chairman of the Theatre Royal there. And uh, he got himself into a lot of financial trouble and ended up in prison when I was uh, 13. My mum had already left him when I was nine. Um, And we didn't see her for four years until he came out, until he went into prison. So during all that, your dad's bringing you up between... Well, we're bringing my dad up, to be honest. Um, So there's my younger sister and my older brother. But, you know, at that age, especially women are still more mature than, or girls are still more mature than men. So uh, I was mainly the matriarch of the family. And then I left home when I was about 14 and a half. Uh, My dad came out of prison, hadn't changed. And I'd gone to live with my mum in London. Hadn't seen her for four years. Didn't get on with a new boyfriend. So I left home. Slept on the streets for about nine months. Under what the li- age, sorry, was that? Then I was nearly 15. Right. Um, under the Waterloo Arches, which later got torn down. And then I used to have Tempe showers in Victoria Station. Uh, never begged for money. Just always used to do um, steal food from supermarkets and right. do jobs, cleaning dishes, backs of restaurants. In those days, you could get cash in hand. Yeah. Um, and then I woke up one day and a guy, a tramp, was peeing right next to my hair. Yeah, sorry about that. And uh, I'm sure that it's a bit young, you probably weren't even born. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I thought I've got to get out of here. So I was on the streets for about six to nine months. When you say Tempe shower, was that literally a Tempe That was shower? Tempe in Victoria Station at the time. Really? Yeah, you could get a shower. Probably about two quid now. <laughs> with inflation (laughs) and uh, this was a long time ago I'm 51 in January so yeah I was 14 and a bit nearly 15 and then I went round looking for jobs and you know you see posters and windows and in the Hoban area there was this croissant shop and it said sales assistant required Uh, so I thought great I can get some free food as well because I've always been quite a skinny person um, that eats a lot, which annoys everybody. But I've always been very active, so I only sleep four or five hours every night. So really? I suppose I am burning more calories than most people because I'm awake. Um, mm. So the guy said you can eat as many croissants as you like. Challenge accepted. Um, and I was eating about 20 a day. So I got <laughs> I got fired after a week. 
Really? And, uh, <laughs> and I took it really personally. I was like, because I'm a person of my word. I'm known for that. So if you say, if I say something, that's it. It's done. And then um, I was really annoyed and I thought, right, God, these bosses, they don't stand by what they say. So I'm never going to work for anyone in my life. And I never did. Really? So from, so from young on, you That was my inspiration thinking... to become an entrepreneur because I thought, no, he's fired me. He obviously thought because I was skinny, I wasn't going to eat that much. And he said his profits were down after a week. It's 120 croissants a, a week, right? Yeah, that's quite a loss when I'm now I'm a businesswoman. Yeah, I get right, that. Yeah. Now I, set. Yeah. Well, how, how often did you work there? <coughs> I was working every day. You were, yeah, illegally because I was underage. Yeah, but I'm he would have found. He got rid of you. He yeah. would have. Neither am I. Now I'm a boss. Now I'm a boss. I get it. Yeah. But at the time, I was horrified, and um, he could have just told me to reduce a bit. <laughs> uh, I might. There might have been a compromise there. Yeah, right. A middle ground. So um, later, that little shop became sock shop. You know, it's quite right on Hoban. I don't know if you know the Hoban area, but anyway, every time I go past there, which I actually did today, I always have a flashback and go, my God, how life changes. I can buy a thousand croissants now if I want. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want because I know they're rubbish for you. That's like but three weeks worth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so then I found out my dad had come out of prison, you know, as, as a daughter, I'd hoped he'd changed. He was a very mad, violent man and uh, he hadn't. So I never saw him again. So I said goodbye. And then my mum, who was with a new boyfriend that she'd left us four years before, who was mentally abusive, but not physically and mentally like my dad. Basically, um, he didn't want me around. So uh, that's when I'd left um, to live on the streets. And um, never saw my mum for quite a, quite a while. And... She said a few years later that she wished she could leave him, but she didn't have any money. So money became my motivation to get her an apartment and change her life. And, you know, she'd lost a leg the same age as me. Really? I later right? on. Yeah, weird. But they'd reattached hers, and then she had really bad blood circulation. Right, yeah. And just as I got the money, because I um, started a company, when I went to the dentist, I saw this thing called Stick on Brogs. And... Um, I had massive boobs when I was young and um, I basically couldn't wear like a low back dress without wearing a bra and I thought it's so annoying because you just wanted the cover, you didn't need yeah, anything yeah. holding them up in those days. And um, so I saw this stick on bra thing called Jolly Bus and I thought, oh, that's brilliant. And the thing that I did learn from my dad was his, he went down the fraudulent path, but we helped him with a lot of his business stuff. So I learned that you could set up a PO box, pretend you were in a Mayfair area, right. set up a company. Yeah. So I did all that and imported the stick on bras from America. And then I went selling them door to door, A, B, C, D, double D and E cup. The only problem was we got quite a few complaints after a few months because some women have hairy nipples, so they used to rip it off. And I would just say <laughs> that that's- literally like a stick. Stick on, so you'd put your boob in the area and stick the bra on. <laughs> But then you ripped it off, and I just said, well, it's two in one, really, isn't it? Yeah, if you've got hair in it, but you get a free wax. You need to do that once. Yeah, couple, every couple exactly. Of so anyway, I then was approached, sold loads <laughs> of them um, by a department store, um, and they wanted the franchise. And I just sat and listened. Was this your first business? First business, yeah. I was only 15 and a bit. Shit. I didn't even have a, I wasn't old enough to have a bank account. So I had to get my mum to sign the back you know, the checks and stuff like that. It was P-A-Y-E only or whatever it was called. Mm. And um, and then I thought, well, I better look to see what a franchise is because I just sat quiet. And then I asked the American company if I could have the exclusivity on these stick-on bras and because nobody else had brought them over. In the UK, you mean? Yeah, yeah, in the UK. So I got that and made about 50 grand, which was a lot in the 80s. Um, and then I used that money to basically help my mum and then she died a week later and that's when I realized money doesn't mean anything and then I spent the rest of my life just doing humanitarian work and chasing success and just money always followed right because I never attached myself whether I was living in a massive house or a camper van or a tent or a, I loved that variety I can tell you now for anyone that hasn't lived a high level life it's very very boring and I've lived on the lowest level and the highest level and the nicest thing about freedom, uh, which you get, like never get famous ever. It's like one of the worst things you could ever do. It, you lose all your freedom. Right. Um, 
and get successful and if some fame goes with it then you have to handle it but um never just chase celebrity bullshit it's i can promise you it will just be careful what you lead wish for to do be careful what you wish for lead yeah. to doom and gloom so i've just focused on the on the business side and the charity side and um long story short i ended up then importing um frozen yogurt from america before i was vegan in the 80s it was very jane fonda with the little leg warmers and aerobics and everything yeah and people were all ice cream and then we introduced frozen yogurt and suddenly that became massive so i was a millionaire by the time i was 19 and um basically giving loads of money to charity and then suddenly i went on holiday when i was 21 um at the end of a, a unhappy marriage i was thought i was 105 i got married when i was um met a guy when i was 16 and stayed with him till i was 22 um and then got pregnant uh lost that got pregnant again lost that and ended up losing about four babies and then i had two ectopic pregnancies when they grow in the tubes and then his ex-wife who i was friends with because we never met while they were together but i looked after the kids every weekend because he had kids from before yeah. Um, I, I invited me to go to a then country called Yugoslavia to ski and I'd never skied in my life you know skiing was something for people that had some money yeah yeah um, when they were young so I was when I did get money I was too busy in my head to to do or even think about it so I went on holiday with my husband at the times ex-wife and kids but not the husband yeah which was quite funny as you do, as you do. Yeah. and um, I learned to ski and then that was it I was like, I'm changing my life completely. I want to live in the mountains. Really? I want to live in a little studio flat. And um, I left my husband all my money. And even though he would say the opposite. Um, and basically set up in Yugoslavia in a, this center city called Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. Slovenia is more known now since uh, Donald Trump married a Slovenian. Yeah. Um, and they're wonderful people, absolutely wonderful. They've only got two million people in the country. Um, uh, but it was Yugoslavia at the time. And I went out there and then I fell in love with a ski instructor, as you do. Because I was skiing all the time. Lived with him for a couple of years out there and just had the best time of my life. And the most simplest thing, we lived in a little studio, flat room on the camping bed. And uh, less was more again no stress no responsibility did you still have had you sold um the previous business did you still have that running oh no i sold everything right yeah okay. yeah yeah i sold everything and i i had um i left you know loads of um all behind just started afresh and then the war started because of course nothing normal happens in my life and um <laughs> My sister was out there and I just dropped her at the airport, gone home, and then it came on the radio because Slovenia had declared independence from Yugoslavia because the currency was devaluing so rapidly. Right. So um, people would buy something on their card and it was, you know, half price the following month, so they weren't gaining any, any, any money in the country. But they didn't think of the consequences that the Slovenia would, you know, be the only port of sea into that country there's just a tiny area for there and um, Croatia were the main industry and they didn't want Croatia following suit um, because the Serbs you know relied on Croatia for the for the seaside and the imports so the Serbs came down the next day with the tanks and we're in Ljubljana can't get out um, and I get my English car out just thinking they might be a bit afraid to blow that up and we had about 10 days bombing in Burnik Airport, which was uh, the capital in, in Ljubljana. And then I drove over the borders to Austria of Port Koren with three or four Austrians in the car. And um, a Slovenian, sorry, into Austria. And had a tank pointing at my car. And I was going, oh God, this is it, this is it. But just following me like a microscope. And we got over and then I set up a refugee crisis center here in conduit street at adria airlines which was their government airline and then i got all my friends out got them jobs in england and started driving trucks back and forwards every friday to sunday to ljubljana with aid got my um, license for hgv and just collected stuff was you when you set that up was you literally following the circumstances of the war that had just kicked off that did that then inspire you to set up the 
refugee yeah, charity. Yeah, no, totally. Was it was like, all to do with that. That was every reason. It wasn't something you would always thought you'd like no, to do. No, no, I'd, I'd been involved with charities, but I never thought to set up my own, yeah. you know, up. So um, I basically was going back and forwards, helping on stuff, and then weirdly ended up working in the war for about three years on the front line all around and uh, went back to England to advise the Shadow Defence Secretary on what was going on there. They weren't interested, you know, Iraq had just literally finished and they, where's the money, where's the gas, where's the oil, what we're going to get, you know, it's all about that. There's no real care for any of the countries unless they've got some commercial reason, unfortunately. And I said, you will pay the price massively if you don't jump in right now and stop this immediately. And what they should have done is just gone in and bombed all the bridges and that would have stopped the Serbs going over. But they didn't do that for four years and then eventually they did. And by that time, people were massacred and it became another Holocaust. Um, And it was just graves and all, it was just horrible. Uh, And I still had two legs at that time. And then I came back to England so how old were you how old were you during those three years i was 20 to 23 jesus yeah 21 to 24 actually and then i came back to um england and crossed the street been out on a date with a guy who was italian and he started telling me not to say cheers because he was very posh still good friends with him he's like no no and I thought if anyone's going to start telling me how to say cheers I'm not interested <laughs> so I did a runner and um, but I didn't know he'd left his coat jacket in my boot uh, of the car so the next day he rang me going my jacket's a Sarmani I was like oh god I said where do you live and um, and he gave me the address so I, I was going to the gym so it was six o'clock on a Sunday morning and I thought I wasn't brave enough to see him because I knew he'd be just rabbit in, in my ear so I fed the Armani jacket through the letterbox and uh, and then the door just flung open and he goes what are you doing with my Armani it's expensive blah, blah. and I just went oh I'm really sorry to... and he goes we must talk we must talk and I was like there's nothing to talk about you're a lovely man I've only been on four dates with you but I'm in love with you and I went no you're not it's only because I just don't want to date you you it's a you know you're not in love and he said I must talk to you and he's going on and on and on so I said um look I'm going, you know, he said, let's go to the park, you know, because this was in Fulham. And um, and I was like, okay, if I talk to you in the park and, you know, it's witnesses, say, yeah. and then it's over, yeah. And then we crossed the street and there was a red double-decker bus <coughs> and uh, some diplomatic police were speeding by. And I went, whoa, that's crazy. So I was really looking and then I took a step and one was trying to catch up. So he came up behind the bus and then he chopped my leg off and crushed my pelvis and punctured my lung and split my head open. So this, that poor so guy you're going felt... going in front of the bus and... And, and he came from behind... Bike, the bus right? is here and he came like that at 80 miles an hour. He had no chance And he was going to Princess Diana's for a false alarm call. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so the Italian, who was already quite a dramatic person obviously got very dramatic because the leg's flying one way and I'm flying the other. And uh, he runs into this Chinese restaurant and we laugh about it now because you can imagine you're eating your chop suey and your Sunday lunch, you're chatting away. He just came in and ripped all the tablecloths off because he wanted to make a tourniquet because my leg was just pouring a blood. And um, the Chinese waiter's going, what are you doing with my restaurant? And then he looks outside and he nearly faints because there's this lady with the leg and God knows what. And um, and then a helicopter, no, and then an ambulance came and took the policeman away because he had a sprained wrist and I was left because uh, they wanted to send a helicopter um, to get me to a specialist hospital. Right, yeah, yeah. So the helicopter eventually came and then I was rushed to Mount Vernon Hospital. Do and you remember this? Yeah, I remember fading in and out, yeah. I remember looking and just thinking... Oh, it's mad the things that go through your hair. Yeah. I thought, oh my God, I just had a pedicure. Thank God for that. And, you know, <laughs> at least I've done my nails. Like really stupid things because you're not in any pain. Right. Initially, yeah. the pain comes later. Yeah. You don't have any pain. You're, it's surreal. Sounds like a bit of a stupid question, but it, did it hurt? Uh, only later. Yeah. But initially, your body shuts down. Right. When you say you think about like, like bizarre things, I assume that's because of like this cocktail of hormones and your brain... Like yeah, function which is probably all over the show. Yeah. Fight or flight, you yeah. want to get up and run. You know that goes back to like the caveman yeah. days. You know, yeah. 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 
there's danger. So, so I was in the hospital. Well. I was in the hospital and they said to my family, that's it, she's going to die, say goodbye. They gave me four full body blood transfusions. And um, which turned out funny because when I did eventually have my um, daughter, they turned out it was a different blood group from me and her father. And he looked at me like I'd shagged the postman. And I was <laughs> like, what? And they said, it's because you've had all the blood transfusions. It's taken up a tiny amount of the O from the transfusion, which is lucky for my daughter because yeah. O is a really common one, whereas right. I was A-Rhesus negative. So that was quite funny. But anyway, I was in hospital for quite a few months. The crushed pelvis, I would say, having broke all my body between that accident and sport, the most painful area to hurt your body is your pelvis, a crushed right. pelvis. Yeah, I can imagine. And this, the most annoying area apart from that to break is your wrist it's more annoying than losing a leg to be honest um so i was in hospital and my girl my leg they kept chopping it more and more because it was actually just chopped down from here right um but the infection in the hospital got in and it just kept crawling up so every month they would have to chop some more off and then i was like oh no i don't want to lose my knee because if i lose my knee i'm going to lose more mobility yeah so my girlfriend just happened to come in that I hadn't seen for years and she said, you gotta go vegan. And I was like, what the heck is vegan? You know, this is 26 years ago. And um, and she said, oh, you know, I've cured myself of breast cancer. And I was like, that's not possible. And I was a Geordie, you know, it's like meat and two veg. I was like, everybody that doesn't understand about nutrition thought that meat was good for you. Mm. So I would do anything to keep my knee. So I just listened to her and she flew me out to West Palm Beach to a place called Hippocrates in Florida. And after four or five months in hospital, no healing, I was healed in two weeks. The whole thing healed, closed up, and I had a leg fitted. Um, Unfortunately, the legs over there you have to buy were very lucky over here. Mm. And it was like 10 grand. But I wanted one straight away because I ended up because staying with the Italian who kept going on okay, and on yeah. because he kept coming to my bedside every day for bloody months and he just kept yeah, going on con. and on. Yeah. And I just was like, oh God, he was ding, ding, ding. And I was like, oh, nice bloody hell. And then, and then, um, so I wanted to surprise him when he came out that I would walk towards him at the airport. Uh, so I bought the leg, but then I came back and realized after three months when you're a new amputee, your Change stump is very right, yeah. swollen and it changes mm-hmm. shape. And then um, that leg's no good anymore. So I said, well, why don't you just change the socket? And in those days, they weren't paid to dismantle. Um, And there was very much contracts that the NHS contracted people to do. So there was no real reason for them to make really good legs or save money or anything. And that intrigued me because I thought, well, where's the motivation unless you're a good person to make a leg that's really comfortable? So the first leg I had was really uncomfortable. And what, was it, what was it made of? Uh, back then, it was it's made of like, you, they do a plaster of Paris of your stump, and then they do a setting of carbon fiber. Um, this but is all done in the States? No, no, this is back. It right. was done in the States, the first one, but, but, the, but the one when you, it didn't work, it was 10 grand. We imagine after three months, you don't want to just chuck 10,000 away. So um, I went to the NHS. That's and quite trumpy, 10 grand. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, huge amount yeah. of money. And um, well, in America, they're like 20 grand for a leg. Most of them now, it's absolutely ridiculous. So well, still now. Yeah, yeah, very expensive. We, the whole, we're very so lucky as much as- they have to pay for them, don't they? Yes, yeah, exactly, whereas we get them free here. But I worked with the company and started developing prosthetics because I thought Madame Two Swords has got really lifelike looking figures why are you giving me this disgusting sponge thing it's just awful so it was like metal with sponge around it to give it a shape and right. they just you know mold it down and uh so i said why don't we just put the silicon from madame two swords type things around the leg and then you can put false nails on as the toes and then we even got hairs and veins for men and they said do you want some i was like no it's the one time <laughs> you never have to shave what is wrong with you and uh and so I developed those. And in those days, you never saw anyone with a disability on TV, ever. No. So I was the first known amputee on TV. The only one before that with a name was Douglas Barder from the war. And they put me as a role model on a pedestal. 
So I suddenly was counselling people who lost lim- limbs and raising awareness for this disability. This quite a bit further bit down the line. 1993. What sort of age were you? you know, 25. Right. And um, so this went on for a number of years. So from 93 to swimming legs, dancing legs, running legs that you see in the Paralympics and kept pushing and pushing to get the Paralympics on television, which eventually we did um, and then had more viewings than the able-bodied Olympics, bizarrely. And then since, you know, Prince Harry's got involved with Invictus Games Mm. and there's just more and more awareness. And when I watched the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics, I'd counseled most of those people when they were little. So it was so emotional for me because I was like, my God, I can't believe where we've got to. Um, And accidentally, I ended up getting involved in the Paralympics when I was on holiday in Austria uh, for a few days. The volcanic, volcano, Icelandic thing went off. No flights would go. And uh, there was no one on the mountain, so I could just go really fast. And I got stopped by the Austrian ski coach and said, you should be a ski racer. And I said, I don't think so. By then I was 42. And uh, and he said, no, 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 you're really fast. Um, I said, but I can't turn. He said, well, I can teach you to do that. And that's how I got involved in ski racing really late. And that's probably why you're so quick. Yeah, down yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, But you've got to go around poles and things, which is a whole other learning curve. So... Um, I got the world record in speed skiing, which I still hold when I was 48. Um, and then skeleton. And Remind me how quick that was. You did tell me before. 166.84 kilometers, kilometers an hour. Yeah. Insane. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And then I was put on TV in Austria with the Red Bull, <coughs> other people, and just became really known in Europe and Austria for my skiing and got away from the um, the madness of Britain. And um, and now in that time, back going back, because I kind of jumped forward. But when I lost my leg, I became this healthy, raw vegan person to heal myself. But once I was healed, I didn't want to have a life of just raw food. Mm. So I wanted a burger and I wanted fish and I wanted cheese, but I knew what was in them and I knew how they harmed you. Um, and the planet and the environment. So I started developing them and I set up a company called V-Bites, opened vegan cafes and restaurants and created 540 recipes and now we're in 24 countries around the world. And um, everyone laughed as they do at most ideas of mine and 25 years later we're the biggest in the world and uh, products you see, menus at Wagamama and at Zizi and all over the place, all vegan now. So it's finally proven to be true. And I work with loads of scientists to prove the studies on it. You know, cheese is an opiate. It's why we're getting all prostate and breast cancers. And they did a study for 30 years on what's, that. What's, sorry, I don't know what an opiate is. What is that? It's like an addiction. It's like anything, if you think of opium. Yeah. So an opiate is anything that will make you addicted to it. So... You know, the reason um, people who go vegetarian can't become vegan is because they're hooked on dairy and especially cheese. And um, being vegetarian is actually, to me, the worst thing you could possibly be because you give up meat and fish, but then you really up your intake generally, not everybody, yeah. with yeah. cheese and milk. And that's actually the worst thing you can put in your body. Yeah. So, um, say, like, as, as an opiate, I mean, it has contains some opium. No, it, it just it, it's an opiate, so, as in so, it has a reaction, yeah, a chemical so, reaction right. in your brain yeah. that that makes you addicted to something, you right. know, really. Yeah. So it's hard to get off and wean yourself off it. Um, so I started making vegan cheeses, allergen-free. They're available in Morrison's, Ocado, Holland and Barrett, all over the place. And um, And we're just educating people that you don't have to give up what you love. You just have to find a replacement. And of course, the extreme raw vegans just hated me for it because they said, well, if you like animals, why would you want to replicate one? I said, because I'm not after feeding you. I'm after feeding people who are carnivores, who want and will miss a burger and will miss a pizza and will miss those things. Yeah, I must admit, when I first saw saw the um, vegan alternative to burgers and fish and things like that, I thought thought the same. Yeah. I thought, what if if you don't want to eat it? Why would you replicate? Because it? you want sense. Because you want to eat it, yeah. but you just don't want to harm yourself, yeah, yeah, the animals, yeah, and the planet. Yeah. 
So, yeah. um, so that's why I've done it. I'm all about problem solving. So for example, people think I have an algal oil company. So people think omega-3 comes from fish and it doesn't. It comes from the algae the fish eat. So if you want to enjoy a piece of fish, that's a totally different debate. But if you want to take omega-3 capsules, why would you take the secondary source? You're taking it from the fish who's already eaten the original source, which has the better EPA, DHA levels. And that fish is destroying the marine ecosystem. So you're squeezing billions of fish to get tiny amounts of oil. You might as well enjoy them if that's what you want, rather than eat the capsule. So fish oils, fish is so farms now as well, isn't it? The, the actual omega-3 levels in farmed fish. Is yeah, it it's null anyway. and void no, virtually. Well, that's why they kept trying to buy our algal oil to feed the fish. Right. And I was like, no, I'm not giving you algal oil for that. People can just take it directly because it's a capsule. So eventually you'll see all the health food stores will wipe out the omega-3 from fish and they will replace it with ours. There's only three companies in the world. There's us, the Americans and the Canadians that make this algal oil. And every two and a half tons we make, we de it depletes CO2 by 1.5 tons. So it's really environmental as well. And if they stop fishing for fish for capsules, that's going to help the marine ecosystem devastation massively. And what difference does it make to you if you're just going to take a capsule, if you yeah. know it's better for you? Yeah. It's not like you're saying don't eat the piece of fish. That's a whole other debate. So, um, so it's about problem solving. So we do it in that area. Someone will come to me. You know, I've just brought in some... Uh, vegan alcohol for the trainers, uh, which is probably very naughty in the gym, but people don't know it has f normal alcohol. A lot of it has fish protein, bladder and egg albumin in the finding process. And so as people become more and more aware, I was talking to, to Joe, one of your trainers I was training with today, and he was saying, you know, even if he's not into going vegan or the animal thing, he's very into the environment. So he says, so I'm really thinking about, well, maybe I could meet reduce a bit. Mm. So I created a terminology with a team of people years ago called flexitarians. And that's the best way to start while you educate yourself, because people will say to you, well, what do you, you know, what about your vitamin B12? And I'll go, yeah, most people are, are lacking in vitamin mm. B12, whether you're vegan or not, but you do need it. You need algal oils, which we both do, and you need your, your bees. And, um, but you need a lot more when you have a bad, you know, all around, you know, like carnivore diet. So um, that's all you actually really need is the B12 and uh, algal oils. So the, the um, essential amino acids. Yeah. That's what most people who would like argue for a carnivore based diet would say that you can't get all of the essential amino acids from one vegan food yeah that's what people argue but i think it's, that's more just education that well got, it no is no one's eating one food anyway yeah. no so exactly no one's just eating steak are they so they're like, not but having said that because of that belief um and the belief you need a lot more protein than you actually actually yeah. uh, believe i have a phd in nutrition and food science and um so i've studied all, all of those areas so what i've done on purpose is i've put higher protein content in our burgers than normal burgers just for that belief that people think they need all that protein, mm. you know, and I don't, I, I have probably 10% protein in my diet and my muscles are bigger than most of, you know, <laughs> most of the women that I know who eat loads of protein. So, but if you're not training and utilizing the protein correctly, then it's not going to do what you want it to do. So we put 22 grams of protein in all the V bites burgers um, that we have and and it's an alkaline protein which is a whole different protein on your system because if you have high high amounts of protein from meat that's very acidic on your body and then what happens in the long term as you get older like me your hydrochloric acid levels which sits here start to reduce and uh, you can't break those you know proteins down because you haven't got enough hydrochloric acid. So you can take hydrochloric acid capsules, which helps if you get anyone out there that suffers from digestive problems who happens to be listening to this. Um, if you do, just take hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes, which break the carbohydrates down, and then you'll never need Gaviscon. You'll never need Mazaprazole, whatever you call it, and PPIs, because all they are are alkalines that you're pouring onto acid. So it's like sticking something on the top of a volcano. The second it wears off, it's going to spurt up again. Whereas if you put acid on acid, it will digest everything that goes into your body. Because even if you 
were a vegan who didn't have enough hydrochloric acid, you stick a piece of cauliflower in your stomach. If it doesn't have enough acid, it's going to ferment and become a rotten, stinking compost. And then you're just going to basically, you know, ferment, just really get swollen stomach and all, you know. So would you take that instead of probiotics or as well as? No, you do probiotics, which reline the <clears throat> microbiome and help all the, you know, with your different bacteriums the, the healthy ones in the morning on an empty stomach and don't drink or eat 20 minutes either side that's the best thing you can do and then every time you eat if you've got serious digestive problems any acid reflux or anything if it's mild acid reflux you can do it just with an entire lemon in a little bit of water drink it and if it feels soothing you know you need it if it's still uncomfortable, you need actual hydrochloric acid capsules because you just want to add to it. Or if you've eaten an, a particularly massive meal, because really we should only be eating two handfuls at a time. Yeah. But if you've eaten a huge meal, take a hydrochloric acid and a digestive enzyme. It's a difference between having a bloat or f having a six pack still. You know, if I have cauliflower, I go from six pack to six months <laughs> on my stomach because I just can't digest it. Right. Food baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what do you? Um, what's your supplements look like now? Do you take both of them on a regular basis? I only basis take. Uh, yeah, I take B12 shot every three months because that's what we used to do with uh, athletics. Yeah. When I was doing the. Um, B12 shot recently. Yeah, it's a brilliant thing. Fifty quid straight on the Jaxi, and you're off if you hate taking capsules. Yeah. Um, Weirdly enough, though, I had my bloods done after it, and my B12 was far too high. So you didn't need it. You should always check. Yeah, you were. Yeah, I just fine. got a bit excited. To have a yeah. Stuff <laughs> the shop and the let's go. Let's have yeah. it. Yeah. No, you on should. The yeah. best thing, to, the best investment you can do in yourself is every six months get a blood test because yeah, you will vary on what your levels are doing depending on your stress levels, depending on yeah, you know microbiome as well, which people gloss over far too quickly. Is like the absolute like epicenter of your health absolutely 100 yeah, more, more about the immune system than i realize isn't yeah it? everything and also about brain function concentration yeah. energy stress yeah sleep can like we, everything can it's we get it massively wrong though with our probiotic um supplements if i were just to go you, in holland and barrett buy the first one i saw mm, yeah you can the thing is the more expensive they are usually and if you get them from a fridge usually they're going to be better because they've got you want to be looking at billions, not, not I don't mean pounds, but billions of, of, of bacteriums, not hundreds of thousands. They've got yeah. to be billions yeah. um, to make a difference. And there are some really good, not so expensive ones. I don't know if you can get Omnibiotic here in a powder, which is good, but normally um, coconut kefir is probably the most expensive. It's in a little glass bottle. Um, and that is the that best refrigerated, um, but you only need to do it 10 days every few months because mm. it really does work and right. realign but the bottom line is if you're if you haven't sorted out your digestive system by digesting your food correctly it doesn't matter how many probiotics yeah, you yeah, take it's worth it's, mentioning that it, a balanced diet is like yeah a much and yeah. making sure you're digesting your food because you can put the best thing in your body but if you're not digesting it it doesn't do anything at all so um yeah it's really really important and most of you about 90 percent of your serotonin is made in your gut so if you're suffering from depression and you have stomach problems then you know why you've got to sort your stomach out and that will help you massively and the other thing that vegans have to be careful of and why it's important they take omega-3 algals is for people who don't have fish the fish have a long chain fatty acid in them and vegan seeds and things have short chain fatty acids. So there's a small percentage of people who can't convert a short chain fatty acid to a long chain fatty acid. And that was my motivation to create algal oils because they are already a long chain fatty acid. And that's really, really important that um, if you're suffering from mental health problems that you're very careful on that. I would not suggest someone um, to go vegan straight away without understanding um, that that basically having algal oils and things to support them. it's good to see that um that there's a lot more people on board now with veganism yeah like, i mean I'm, i imagine 20 odd years ago no one really gave a shit right well it was hard for me because all they offered was like cardboard burgers right, yeah of course they were disgusting yeah. but now everyone now it's almost almost a bit trendy now Thank goodness it's a trend, but what happens is it's a trend that's not going to go backwards. Yeah, but do you, do you think that there's there's a lot of people just jumping on the wagon? There's a lot of misinformation around veganism. Yeah. A lot. Same with exercise. 
like everyone's an expert in being a vegan now. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone's a personal trainer or an expert in, in fitness. There's lots nutrition. of people jump, jumping on things. A lot of corporates are doing the same. And that's why our company's been going 25 years and I've lived and breathed it for 25 yeah. years. And, and I'll be honest, the areas you've got to be careful on, the areas that, you know, work. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're someone that doesn't educate yourself and understand in nutrition in general, not just being vegan, and you see these um, vegans who are completely white, who don't understand B12, um, and they, that puts everybody off. So I want to be the epitome of health, um, and that's why I like to stay fit and healthy, and that's why I believe I got a world record at an old age, because, you know, Lewis Hamilton's vegan now, and he's stated publicly. He's doing all right. He's he? doing all right. He's doing okay, um, yeah. But he was doing all right before, but he's just doing even better. And lots of the world athletes that I've worked with and converted who can't publicly say they're vegan because they're on a sports team right. who are sponsored by Milk and McDonald's. Right, yeah, um, they don't eat any of it, but they're sponsored by them. So they can't actually say, we think this is crap. I can't even believe the Olympics is sponsored to, uh, by it. I mean, that is... Yeah, that but one. a team, you haven't got a choice, right? I suppose if no, you're No, you haven't. Yeah, they're teams. They're, then, you know, that's really... Some of them are boycotting it now. We did a big campaign called Switch for Good in America, which did a commercial straight after McDonald's basically saying, you know, why are McDonald's the sponsors of us at the Olympics? Why, why are we encouraging well. kids... You know, to have, yeah, to have healthy, unhealthy foods. I mean, now you can get healthy colas like green cola. I mean, anything that's carbonated, I'm not particularly into myself, but if you're going to get someone off high sugar drinks, then there's stevia-based drinks. Mm. You know, that's zero glycemic. Yeah. And it's better on the stomach because aspartum and saccharin, we all know are carcinogenics. I don't even believe, I can't even believe, but they're so powerful that they're allowed to be in drinks for kids. Um, there's all sorts of very simple solutions, but it's the greed and it's short-term vision. Um, if our government actually went after health and nutrition, we'd have a better society. We'd have less people on um, unemployment benefits. We'd have less mental health problems. But they're all about the quick book. Profit, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But it's short-term profit mm. because it comes in one door and it goes out massively in the other. You know, the NHS, it should be illegal mm. to have vending machines in there. It should be illegal to take any unhealthy product into a hospital. That is the one time you can contain an individual and force them into education, good nutrition, to get them healthy, to get them out of the bed and back at work and home and with their family as quickly as possible. But we don't do that. They so do that in lots of other countries, yeah. but it's we don't. See, the, the vending machines of that nature are still so widespread. You know, I, and I know that there are now companies that are, certainly in the States, I noticed, when I was in LA recently, I noticed they have like healthy vending machines. Yeah. I would have thought that had become more popular here. Yeah, I think well, that was a recent Jamie Oliver food fight thing, I think, as well, recently. Vending machines for, like, shift workers and stuff like that, trying to improve them. Just, yeah. It's not, it's, you're right, it's not catching on at all. But. Well, I assume that one of the problems is, like, storing fresh, healthy food in a machine. Yeah, well, you could at least start with healthier protein bars and things, yeah. you know, things that just didn't have all the all the crap in them. There are a lot of ambient products that you could start with. I mean, we've yeah, created... True created lots of them it's just a matter of it will happen you know i predicted where we are now 25 years ago i'd hoped it had happened sooner but 10 years from now all that stuff will change it's about the fact it's what's really interesting is the big corporates because they contact me all the time to try and manufacture for them because we have um three of the very few plant-based only factories in the country you know so we've got dairy companies like um well, I can't even say their names because we sound NDAs, but we've got big companies who want us to do the vegan cheeses for them, for their pizzas. Right. Um, because they can't manufacture them in their <coughs> own facility because of cross-contamination. So more companies like us will be making more products and more people will be contacting us and they'll want them clean label. And clean label means we can get rid of all of the stuff that's associated with bad health. Um, and now it's proven that, you know, people go on about soy and this and that and the other because the media put out that men's grow um breasts if they have soy and all this rubbish yes soy affects your estrogen um it normalizes it that's why doctors hand it out for menopausal women japanese have been living on soy for centuries and never got sick but it's how it's processed now over here 
that's that's been the problem but um you know you've got so many different milks i have a milk company where we do oat milk almond milk and all the different nut milks that's becoming more popular now so slowly but surely changing the palate and getting sugar out and more natural products and weaning people off the addictions is when they're going to get a cleaner taste and it's a bit like when i was a kid full fat milk that was it and when someone gave me skimmed i was like oh my god that's disgusting now, if you reverse it with someone that's on skimmed and you give them full fat, they just want to throw up. Yeah. So that's going to happen between cow's milk and oat milk in the future. Once you flip off the cow's milk, which has so much pus in it because we pump the cows full of antibiotics. Yeah, that makes you feel a bit sick. Yeah. Saying the word pus in milk. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. But it's actually not that bad for you, the pus. It's the antibiotics that make us antibiotic resistant. Um, that's the problem because they're in the cows. Yeah, because they pump all the cows intensively farm milk. Yeah, I'm just trying to re- again talking about the flexitarian. I'm trying to reduce it um, a little bit here and there. So my protein shakes will now be almond milk or coconut milk. Yeah. The only it's thing I can't give it up in is my tea. It will try mm. rice milk in your tea. Yeah. Yeah, because I get I get that with the tea. Um, I like rice milk more than all of them. I sometimes do oat milk. I'm not mad on almond milk. I don't like soy milk. But there's 25 milks. Yeah. So when people go, oh, that's horrible. And there's like Try 100. Milk. Yeah, just yeah. keep trying. And and it's about reducing where you can and being naughty in the area you just can't. Like my sister can't go vegan because she just loves halloumi cheese. Yeah. So I said, fine, 99% of your life is, is do vegan. You ever yeah. think, do you ever like crave any meat? No, I assume not. No, because I just make it. I replicate yeah. it. So our vegan fish steaks from V-Bites are in all the Green King pubs. And they're selling really? like crazy. So if you go in, you see a V-Bites vegan fish steak with mushy peas and chips. Or you go into pizza places and you've got vegan pizzas. And you give them to people. You don't say anything. And, you know, ZZ have rustica pizzas. Um, and they f- taste fantastic. And people go... At the end, oh, that was really nice. You didn't mind me eating that pizza. And I was like, well, it was vegan. And they went, well, no, it wasn't. It had cheese on it. When cheese is melted, you cannot tell the oh, difference. Right. It's when you want to bite the cheese, like some brie or camembert. So save your naughty moment for that moment. Yeah. Don't go and buy cow's milk cheese when you're going to make a cauliflower cheese because you might as well get yeah. the vegan one. It tastes the same. Yeah, it's a really real, realistic approach. It's nice yeah. to hear you say that because... Um, I think sometimes vegans get a bad rep because I don't know if you saw it. I think recently there was some vegan activists protesting in supermarkets, yeah, like right in people's faces as they're buying as they're buying meat and stuff. Yeah, it's not the way to do it. You know, I used to be one of those extremists, right. and I do understand them. And I do a lot of lectures and 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 talks, and basically say the fastest way to educate people is to feed them great food. It yeah. is the simplest, fastest yeah, way. I agree. Try this. Don't yeah. argue. Don't say anything. You know, I've got two friends. Um, that Chris knows Christina and Tom and they were biggest carnivores and she was even a, a fur wearer and now they're so hooked on my burger he's lost like two stone between training I here and fitness he, yeah he does a, he's lost a lot of weight yeah he? and he's you know 90% vegan he's not 100% but he the other day at our Christmas party he said um, you know I had meat the other day and I'm really suffering from it still and I said it's not because you've given it up for so long and you're back on it it's because you you've learned to feel a different way that way you felt all the time you just weren't aware of it but when you end up getting a ridiculous amount of energy then you get used to it and when it's taken away then you'll you'll see that it's very very hard to digest they did analysis on people's colons for about that was a nice study 30 years and literally some vegetarians who'd given up meat 40 years before still had putrefied meat in the crevices of their colon. It's that hard to digest. You know, we're not made. All the people say, oh, well, look at my teeth. I went, yeah, you try biting into a cow's ass through the hide with those teeth. They're not, you're not going to get through it. So um, <laughs> we are not... Terrible who- night, that one. <laughs> Terrible <laughs> night. <laughs> that was after that vegan wine. <laughs> Bloody vegan wine. <laughs> uh, Heather, I have a question for you. Yeah. I've got a list of awards that you've been given here. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Well Thank you. What out, out of all of them, is there one in particular that you are like super proud of? I assume that you're proud of all of them, of course, but 
is there one that really stands out for you as like a I don't know remind me of something because they all go in a, in a Jesus, cupboard I'm really bad there's a lot. There's the, just pick a couple out I mean there's a lot <laughs> the Nobel, you was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. I was nominated right? for Nobel Peace Prize, which I didn't know about because you never get told anything like that. But yeah. um, is that a true story? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Nineteen ninety six, for my work in the war zone, we ended up winning the Nobel Peace Prize for the landmine cause, um, but on another year. But on that year, I was personally uh, nominated, and um, yeah, I mean, I suppose the thing that I'm the most proud of award wise would be. Probably my work in human security. I have a fellowship at UCI in California where they studied my work for a number of years um, in human security. Why uh, we had the war in Iraq and um, I set up camps in different countries for mine clearance and things like that. So that was a great achievement because everybody you know, just laughed when I said, right, I'm going to set up a mine clearing charity and we set up Adopt a Minefield. That became the biggest in the world in nine countries and cleared 21 million square meters of minefield land and fitted up 400,000 people with uh, prosthetic secondhand limbs, which I collected from all around the country from those wasted limbs and got the prisoners from all the prisons to take the legs apart, put them into boxes and ship them down to the then Ljubljana. It sounds like you're running your charities how you think when you're running your business. That's yeah, pretty innovative. Kind I of do outside the box thinking. Yeah, so I do it from my heart, but I run them from my brain Yeah, and don't cross the two over. And I'm just very lucky that I see everything very clearly. I have a really simple brain and everything's possible and there's no hurdles, but it's people that put hurdles in their way. It's people that always think of, well, the problem is, people start their sentence off with, yeah, but the problem is, and it's like, no, there is no problem. What is the solution? Why are you not just thinking, right, I need to go from here to there. These are the hurdles, but I'm going to jump over all of them. How am I going to jump over all of them and how am I going to get there? And that is purely self-belief and questioning and common sense. And unfortunately, we're now living in a world with very little common sense. Yeah. Very little. Have you ever had a day off? Yeah, loads. I mean, like recently, <laughs> recently, um, well, it was weird because I had a best-selling book when I was 25 because they asked me to do an autobiography and I went, well, don't autobiographies happen when you're old? And I'm only 25. And um, and they said, yeah, but, you know, it's, you've already done the war and this. And I thought, well, how much are you going to give to the charity? And it was a lot of money. And so I've had three um, best-selling books now. But I literally worked out that I hadn't had any time off. So I, that when I got involved with skiing, I said, right, I'm going to take the morning off and just be a ski racer. Because to me, being an athlete is a holiday. Anyone that says being an athlete is work is just insane. <laughs> um, it might be knackering, but it's not work. Uh, running businesses are work. They're bloody nightmare because you're dealing with people and kindergarten people. Um, but I would ski race in the morning, get up at four, drive, be on the course ready to do the downhill as soon as the sun comes up because you've got to do it before the public come ski race for a few hours and then where all the young kids because I was much older would say um this is a nightmare you know I'm so tired I've got to go rest oh I was like oh my god try and get a real job this is holiday and I would just do all my emails so I used to have a little competition how many emails can I do on the chairlift up because I got these special gloves that you can tap on the screen so that enabled me to get downtime with work. And then I did that for about four years and then the plant-based boom went 900% growth in the last three years. So I had to jump back in because all the corporates started coming in, replicating our V-Bytes products. And then I went and my competitive side came back and I went, no, 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 you're not doing that. So I stopped skiing a year and a half ago, competing, jumped back into my business. And I've only had two days off this year until tomorrow I'm going to, fly off and uh, take a break. Um, But I needed to do it. It's all about timing. So I would suggest to everybody, unless you can only sleep four or five hours a night and you're not a moaner, never run your own business. Never. It's the hardest thing in the world. Work out what you want in life and um, have a nice life. You know, because running your own business is just a pain in the ass, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I've done it my whole life. So I've learned to switch off and compartmentalize things. So I'll go, go, go. And when I hit a wall, I go, right, phone off, computer down, 
and no one can contact yeah, me. I must admit, I find that extremely <coughs> difficult. I never ever switch off. Yeah. But not, it's not useful to me. Like, I'm just, my brain's going really, yeah. really quickly and thinking about loads of different things. But I'm not, it's not of any benefit yeah. at night. How do, you, it's just hard how do you manage that and manage focus. the stress? Um, have I you always been managed to switch off when you know you have to or no when I was younger it? it's it's age I suppose um, it's experience um, when you work in war zones and you see people blown up and killed and you, you put things in you've got something to compare them with right, yeah. so when I feel myself because I'm a perfectionist in my work and when I feel myself getting that adrenaline rush you know that you get then you know you're going in the goldfish bowl and then I just go Hang on a minute. It's a being in check with yourself. So as long as you're aware of yourself, you can actually go, right, deep breath, walk outside before you hang somebody that's just messed up for the 50th time. Um, so I, I basically just, you know, training helps me massively. So coming here uh, to Betty Bodies, I absolutely love it because it's the only time my phone stays in the car. Nice. And um, I, the first few times I used to bring it and then I was just like, no, leave it in the car and I can just switch off. I go in another world and I'm in so much pain with the training that I haven't got time to think about anything else. And it, it's, it's exhausting your body, makes your brain calm down. Mm. It's really interesting yeah. and gets my stress out. So instead of killing somebody in the office, I just kill myself in the gym. Yeah, yeah. that is a product of a change in your brain chemistry as well, right? Like if, you, if you go in and train hard and release this cocktail of hormones, oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, off the back of that, you can't help but leave feeling yeah. a bit better, right? Yeah. Um, the only time I, I save, um, usually the time of the month, I'll have my board meetings, because, you know, women, are, hormones are a bit more nuts then. Really? And, um, or the week before. <laughs> and, uh, and But I need that, because I'm quite an easygoing boss. You know, I'm not like, but I sometimes need to be a bit tougher. Because mm. someone will say, oh, well, my mum's not well and I'll just let them have days off and this, that and the other. And that's not what I should be doing. Um, and then they take more and more and more advantage and then they're Give shocked when they get fired. Sort of um, so I save those days when I've really got to kick some ass. Um, you, you've got, how many employees do you have now? Do you about know? 190. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot to manage, yeah. People and I've got, are difficult, aren't they? Yeah, some people are difficult and some people are brilliant. And it's usually the quiet ones I I like to go in and watch uh, work because they're the ones who are really... It's very important as a boss that you really look 360 constantly on who's doing what because you can miss the quiet ones and underestimate the work level they're doing. And the really loud ones can be just talking a lot and being boisterous about what they're doing, but they're really not doing a lot. So I tend to get dressed up in the factory because you've got to wear very high-risk head covers and, and coats and all that. I can go undercover with my, my little wig on and go and work in the factory, which I do oh once boss. a month. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that a lot. What, what's your, um, Don't film it, though. What's your um, outfit of choice? Well, you've all got to look wig. the same. I put a wig on, a black really? wig, and go in. Surely they know it's you. No, they don't know it's me because I don't talk. I just go in and, and I... I presume I, it's a busy And I'm doing blending. Well, right? It's very busy. Oh, right. And, um, and they just think I'm coming in as an auditor. So auditors don't talk a lot of the time. They'll go in and just make checks of things. And then I'll really watch what everybody's doing. Plus we have cameras. They probably don't see that much, like one-to-one, they don't see that much of you anyway. I guess what, 190 people probably don't, they don't know you that well. Oh, no, they do. No, they do. I'm a real chameleon when I dress up. Like if I showed you pictures of me um, with different outfits on i can look like hilda ogden one minute and miss glamour puss the next i suppose a celebrity status again what you talked about freedom i guess sometimes when if you just want to leave the house you might well actually it's best if i ask you look to disguise yourself sometimes i used to i used to i don't i don't need to anymore because um it was public were always lovely but i used to disguise myself so the paparazzi weren't chasing me because they chased me for years but then when uh, we started hacked off and the investigation into phone hacking, since we put a lot of the journalists in prison, um, they don't bother me anymore for some reason. I don't know why that is. <laughs> but um, yeah, because they were making rubbish up and lying and hacking and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Destroyed a lot of people's lives. So yeah. we sued them and then also got them on criminal charges and put them in prison. But you don't read about that. You get one paragraph of that that what they wrote was a load of lies. So um, 
that was a nice feeling. That was probably one of my biggest achievements because they destroyed a lot of our charities, a lot of our work. Really? But now I feel like I've got freedom because they've woke up and actually instead of believing the rubbish they wrote, they've gone, actually, um, we should have thought you might investigate us and find out more about us. We've got a few more journalists still to put in prison and then we're done. <laughs> Good. to go for them people. Yeah. Shouldn't have underestimated you then, should they? Yeah, well, they shouldn't have destroyed lots of people's lives and charities, you yeah. know, because there's a lot of people's lives that have been destroyed that didn't have the voice that I've got or the finances to be able to go after them. And they're the people we did big class actions and things that we we wanted to help. And, you know, it's one thing going after me, but by going after me and writing the lies and destroying charities, that's quite disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, no need for that. No. So that's greed as well though isn't it yeah, yeah. no it is a couple yeah. more questions for you yeah quick fire questions okay um i asked this to everyone but you i'm sure have met a wider variety of people than some of the other guests mm. famous per most famous person that you've met and been a bit like starstruck by if any never been starstruck by anybody ever but mm. the <laughs> nicest person i've ever met that's famous who, when I was on crutches after I lost my leg, wanted a photo op um, and grabbed me was Richard Branson, who stayed a good mate for 26 years. Um, but he grabbed me, we were both judging Miss UK competition. And uh, he just, I was on, <laughs> I was on crutches and he just grabbed me and thought I was just this young, blonde, poor, disabled person and carried me down the stairs and it was on the front page of the newspaper the next morning. And as they took the shot, I just turned to him and I went, you owe me. And he just looked at me like, oh my God, who's this? <laughs> this woman. And then I contacted him a few months later for a TV show that I got commissioned called Chill Out with Heather and challenged him to a game of tennis with uh, a new one leg and beat him, really? which he wasn't very happy about. So about 12 years later, he invited me out to NECA to redo the challenge without TV there. And he kicked my ass, and it turns out he'd been having private lessons from Pete Sampras <laughs> for 10 years. So that was quite funny. So he just won the Necker Cup, actually, which Branson, I saw this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Heather, we don't want to keep you forever. I'm sure you're very busy. Well, I know you're very busy. Um, so I think what you're doing is massively inspirational. I, I, know, I know you personally, so I know that the Heather behind, like, probably the public perception and and I think you're a wonderful person and the way that you deal with everything that's happened I think is really inspirational but not only that you would your training which is obviously something that I have a keen interest in you would literally never know that you are you have to deal with any kind of um disability disability whatsoever right and I think all of the other people that I know who have trained in the past would agree with that and that in itself is astonishing um so Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is hard and you get blisters and bleeding with your stump. But you but don't whinge about it though, no, do you? No, no. That's the difference. And that's why no, when I see people with two arms and legs moaning, I go, oh, for God's sake, get on with it. Yeah. Have you always had that mindset? I was wondering what it would be like when you're in hospital, you know you've lost your leg, to not fall into that victim mindset. I think Did I've just, ever? I think I've just, I'd experienced a lot in my life. And I think you are who you are when you're born. And then certain things, you know, it, that whole thing, nature versus nurture. But, you know, when I look at kids in kindergarten, the same kids who are mine, mine, mine with the toy are still mine, mine, mine when they're older. And the ones that are giving, would you like this? Would you like to share my toy? They're like that when they're older. So you can you can guide people, but you know you get people with perfect parents and awful kids, yeah. people with horrible parents and great kids. Yeah, so yeah, true. nature to a point, but the bottom line is that your natural personality comes through at the end of the day. And I would have either be I I know myself I'm an extremist, which is why I'm not, you know I've never took drugs in my life because I know I'd like them and then I would be an addict. Yeah. So um, I didn't drink alcohol apart from once when I was 13 I had whiskey once and was ill. So I never drank alcohol again until I was 29 because I thought, oh, I might like it. And then yeah. what's going to happen? Now I'm older and I've got a lot more self-control. But I just think you are who you are. And I've always been someone who's, you know, likes to do what I do to the best of my ability, whatever it is. 
And when people, you know, I've done every job from cleaning the streets to every job possible. Eating 20 croissants a day. Yeah, eating 20 <laughs> croissants a day. But the bottom line is, unless you start on the first rung of the ladder with determination and belief in yourself, you're never going to rise up. So just take any job if you're unemployed, do anything and someone will spot you. As long as you work hard, you will be spotted and you will be promoted and you will go up the ladder. You know, while you sit and whinge and moan and think the world owes you a favor, you know, you, you, and look at people and go, oh, they're so lucky, oh, it's all right for her, it's all right for him, you know. I had someone who kept saying that to me, come and spend one week with me, and they were dead after a week. And they said, I just want to go back to my nine to five job. I just, no way can I handle this at four in the morning to midnight. And, uh, you know, people have perception of things and they don't quite know what other people's lives are like, which is why even on the road today, I had a friend screaming at someone in front and I went, have you ever thought that that person's just doing a quick U-turn because they're rushing to a hospital because they yeah. just had a call about their kid? Why do you presume things? And I also hate gossip when people repeat things verbatim that they've read, that they don't know the person, they've got no That's understanding fact. of the subject. Yeah. So when I hear gossip, I say, I don't want to sit in and have this conversation. Yeah. So yeah, I just think as long as you're a good person and as long as you're kind and as long as all the motives you have are with good meaning, and you work hard, you're always going to be happy and successful. It's simple as that. Well said. Well said. Great. Heather Mills, thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thanks nice to see on. you. Appreciate it. So there you go, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Heather for coming on. Um, I think my takeaway from that whole podcast was Heather's mindset around how the world doesn't owe us a favour. Uh, stop complaining and just get on with it. That's what I'm going to do anyway. Uh also, her approach to veganism is I find really refreshing, which which is nice nice to talk to someone who's not going to preach um, and show off about being a vegan. She she knows that's just not the way, and it's and she knows it's not for everyone, which is um, really nice to hear. Uh, I'm rambling. What else do I need to tell you? Chris wanted me to edit out the whole cheese opiate bit because he thinks that might be factually incorrect. I don't really know. I tried to fact check it and in all honesty, I got a little bit bored um, because I don't think it really matters. Uh, the point Heather was making is that cheese is addictive, dairy is addictive, which I think is correct. As to whether I'm taking opium by eating dairy, I don't know and I don't really care. If you do, you should go and fact check it yourself. Don't take that as gospel. Uh, in the meantime, though, please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate it. Please review it. It would just really help us. In the meantime, we'll see you next time. That's the shittest outro ever. Love you. Bye.